0: Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbus and Michael Edgeley. Oh, what a goal! For, For a Chemist, chemist warehouse. warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and moving. Absolutely fantastic!
1: Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgeley to run the rule over the past week in the World Game. First edition news with Willem van and shortly and of course during the show we'll be joined by our 250 game veteran of the Victorian Premier League back from holidays and of course the former Notts County Mandine Hennessy and our former ITN journo turned pundit Derek Dyson. The W League Grand Final brings together two of the heavyweight names in Australian football with Sydney FC hosting Melbourne victory at Sydney's Cogra Oval this Sunday. We'll talk about the build-up with the ABC, Steph and he branched to get started? And then a chat we've been waiting for for ages. She's a very special friend of Box to Box, Michael in particular, Melbourne Victory Rising Star, and hat hero of the semi final, Melina Ayres, and plenty more to talk about in domestic football with the A League to wrap up the hour. In the second hour, Willem will kick off with second edition news and the latest on Socceroos and Matilda Central, and Chris War from The Athletic. We had Chris on a while ago talking about Newcastle ownership dramas, etc. But the febrile atmosphere there continues at St James Park. Steve Bruce in a battle for survival. Will he keep them up? Will they get relegated? We'll talk to Chris all about that. A busy week, of course, as it always is in the Premier League with just a couple of months to go and Champions League as well, halfway through the uh, the current league. So heaps to talk about in Europe with Dino and Derek and we'll wrap it up with stoppage time. We'll talk some Euro action. But, Michael, you finally delivered Molina to the show.
2: Well, we had to Lovely time it day. perfectly, didn't we? And uh, after scoring a hat-trick to uh, help steer Melbourne victory into the grand final, I think this is the week we we get to have a chat to one of my charges, Molina Ayres. Um, but really looking ahead to the WE grand final, it's a grudge match, isn't it? Sydney mm. versus Melbourne. Um, there's everything to play for. I sort of put a line through the the 2-0 uh, victory uh, that uh, the Premier's plate game because it was on synthetic turf. We talked about mm, that ex- mm to an extent, last week. But I think it's set up, and I can't wait for the A-League grand final rematch between Sydney FC and Melbourne City, two teams that
3: I think might find their way through to the grand final this year, Willem. What do you think? I think that's definitely a possibility, Michael. I think City with the list that they've got and the form that they're in, this is the year they need to capitalise. City a little bit more circumspect on them. Don't think they've got that cut through that they've had in recent years, but Melbourne City definitely. But the top story is of course this week, the W League Grand Final. Sydney FC will host the victory at Coggera on Sunday after both sides enjoyed resounding semi-final victories last weekend. Lisa Devanna and Melina Ayers did the damage as victory ran out 6-2 winners over Brisbane while the following day the Box to Box Magic took hold of Ali Green in their 3-0 Victory over Canberra.
0: Ali Green, the left back for Sydney FC, able to step in. Eyes are lighting up. Oh, Ally Green! That does secure a grand final spot for Sydney FC. It's her first W League goal, and it's right under the highlight reel. The
3: entire season A Sydney win Would see them join Melbourne City On a record Four championships While victory Are looking to add To their sole success Of 2013-14
1: So of course The box-to-box magic Being we had Ali on Last week For those who hadn't, she hadn't scored a goal In four years In the A-League And she thumps A pile driver through To
2: send Sydney To the grand she final scored what's called in, uh, in the trade a worldie mm-hmm. it was a crack cleared the cobwebs
3: it? out of the corner of the net she went, she went a she long did. way in a few days from doing radio interviews in a Chinese restaurant to just <laughs> hitting yeah. bombs from uh, from miles no, out well done from she'll Sweden be an dangerous well.
1: player on the weekend too but uh, obviously um, the absence of a, of a couple of big names from Brisbane contributed to a, to a certain extent but uh, um, we had Jake Goodship on as well so our sort of uh, magic balanced out <laughs> the fact that Jake wasn't very happy on the sideline
2: actually. no no uh, if you watch the game uh, we like upset like, him I, I didn't, we didn't upset him, but uh, the referee did in a big way, and Jake, uh, yeah, he, uh, he imploded. He was very cool, calm, and collected in our interview, yeah. but he, uh, he well and truly threw the, uh, the toys out of the cot uh, <laughs> last weekend, and he had some fairly direct uh, feedback for the referee after the game.
3: Moving on, Football Australia has regained the rights to national team matches outside of major tournaments and have taken them to market ahead of Sunday's Matilda's clash with Germany. All rights will now be sold independently of the A-League, which was not the case during the previous deal with Fox. With World and Asian Cup qualifiers and friendlies up for sale, it's hoped Football Australia can diversify its income streams and generate some profit. And Rob, they certainly seem bullish that this will be the case, particularly with the huge backlog of very important fixtures they've got to uh, play out over the next couple of years uh, and with the Matildas uh, primarily. Yeah,
1: absolutely. If ever there was an opportunity for uh, the uh, uh, head office at of College Street to uh, maximise um, money, this is it right now. I mean, they've they've it, they've hit the bottom of the uh, of the V curve. If it. Can be a curve. Um, in terms of TV rights and everything, is starting to look up. We've got a couple of years ahead of us where we're, we're expecting to get Michael, uh, a bunch of the big names, uh, international big names, uh, wanting to to get a bit of a sense of uh, of what it's like playing in Australia and in New Zealand, of course, ahead of the World Cup from the women's point of view, and our men. You know, we're not the golden generation, but uh, as the World Cup expands, uh, you know, post Qatar, then uh, it's uh, a, a marquee game whenever the Soccer play uh, the big matches. So um, hopefully they can get the best out of this yeah
2: yeah interesting little uh uh by play to this is while the whole separation of A-League debate was going on uh, the A-League clubs used to say all the time they felt their A-League rights were worth more separately from the 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 Federation's rights and there was often this um, behind closed doors sort of sniping at each other about who had the the value of who who, who had the the, the better rights to to take to market and A-League had the volume obviously and uh, and the Federation with the international matches had sort of the the peak audience but uh, my sources tell me that, uh, you know, despite all of that in the A-League's post- posturation around uh, separating the rights, is that uh, once the, the you know A-League uh, got in their sort of key broadcast people in place to sell them, they went back to the Federation and asked to put them together again, <laughs> saying that they could get a better value for everybody if they were together. Well, it sort of makes sense as a broadcaster that you, you, you want... A lot um, so Yeah but the federation Obviously declined That uh, that request yeah. So uh, The A-League They're out on their own uh, The federation's Out on their own And uh, I guess In time We're going to know uh, The real value Of where it all sits
3: mm. Staying with Broadcast rights FIFA have launched tender processors in Australia and New Zealand for the rights to broadcast the 2023 Women's World Cup. FIFA statement reads, they'll select the media company's best place to provide maximum exposure for the tournament and offer a high quality viewing experience. Submissions are due by May the 11th. This, you would think, Michael, would be massive. It's a truly international tournament. As we know, of course, that the goodwill and the increase in importance of women's sport over the last 10 years or so, you'd think that even the traditionally cynical networks towards Australian football would be uh, more than interested.
2: Absolutely, and, and you know the way that rights work. It's obviously ter- territorial, and and also the production quality uh, um, is a significant uh, aspect to it as well. But uh, let's not forget, in twenty nineteen, the Women's World Cup final between the Netherlands and the USA was the fifth highest ranking sporting broadcast property. Of that year, so uh, over a billion people uh, got to see that uh, that event in uh, in in various capacities around the world. So um, it's a big uh, it's a big ticket item. It's going to be the biggest event of 2023, no doubt about it. Can't wait for that.
3: Heading abroad for a second, Valencia of this week walked off the pitch following the alleged racist abuse of Mukhtar Diakab in their loss to Cadiz in La Liga. The side later returned to the pitch, but without Diakab, who asked his teammates to play on, but was substituted himself. Rob, strong actions from Valencia. Obviously, they went out on Diakab's say-so again, but do you think they maybe watered things down a little bit by returning?
1: Look, I don't think so. I think you've got to continue on with the match. I think the statement's made now. uh, When uh, when a team does walk off, it's... uh Uh, It's been um, more of a thing in recent times That that teams will walk off We're seeing obviously the international teams uh, Germany, the Netherlands There's discussion this week that the Socceroos are having conversations About uh, uh, making a statement as well We've seen Thierry Henry in the last couple of weeks Getting off social media So it's coming to a head And uh, just chatting about this uh, With somebody uh, who who is a genuinely interested football fan Earlier today You know, we we can't try to educate these people anymore They're beyond educating Uh, They don't... um, uh, n- need to be told what they're, they're doing is wrong they just don't care so the, the reality is that we've got to find a way to keep them out of the stadiums and get them off social media and punish them that way will they go underground they probably will but uh, the mainstream population doesn't uh, need to be exposed to this anymore and uh, uh, you know all we can do is hope that the, uh, the 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 uh you know the big tech and and the big sporting organizations around the world take the steps that are, that are required and uh, um and you know there, there's some sort solidarity shown with, with the players.
3: No, I completely agree. Uh, over to the Matildas. They're back in action this weekend, Michael. It's been far too long. COVID-9 protocols, however, have cost Ellie Carpenter and Amy Harrison the chance to join this. Is COVID-9 squad. a new one or...? Uh did I say COVID nine? Yeah, I think it's COVID nineteen. Oh, I think it is definitely COVID nineteen. Had that drilled into us more than anything over the past couple of years. Carpenter has been ruled out following the outbreak at Lyon, which also caused the Champions League clash against PSG to be postponed. Neither players are believed to have the virus. However, neither player will be replaced, meaning more opportunities for Michael Watts for what's a really exciting young squad, including Betty Goat, India Page Riley, and crucially Mary Fowler.
2: Absolutely. Um Betty Goat, I'm really excited to see because she was a very, very, very good player. Uh, in the W League for Melbourne City before she basically withdrew herself from international uh, teams because of her um, her studies at UCLA where she was a prime mover in UCLA's three or four Division I championships in the NCAA in a row. I'll stand to be corrected if I'm wrong there, but I think it might have been three in a row, maybe four. Um, so Beatty Goad, uh, for me, um, is a real... Uh, is a real uh, one to watch Obviously we've talked about Mary Fowler Extensively here She's still uh, Regardless As uh, we discussed During the week of course um,
1: That re- whether she plays or not She's not officially capped
2: That's right readily- she, she can still go and play for Ireland So uh, it'll be a very I think it'll, it'll be important To see how she's um, She's treated throughout this uh, This camp By the uh, By the FFA uh, People there And whether um, You know We can convince her To stay with Australia Hopefully we can. All right, good start, Willem.
1: Uh, we're going to talk W League Grand Final after the break. It's going to be a doubleheader chat first with Stephanie Brants from Foxtel, one of the voices of uh, women's football in this country, and then Melina ayres uh, Edge is her manager. For anyone who has missed that, uh, listening to Box to Box over the years, she scored a hat trick over the weekend, was the hero of the semi final victory that uh, has got them in the grand final. So stick around. That's all after the break on Box to Box.
0: Box to Box. <laughs> For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings.
1: And Storage King.
0: The kings of storage, moving and more. And
1: this could be the most Yes, this battle. is Box to Box on 9 Radio NTS News Talk Sport. It's the W League Grand Final. Sydney FC hosting Melbourne victory at Cogger Jubilee Oval in Sydney this weekend. And one of the voices of sport in this country. She's been across most of the networks in her long and uh, uh, illustrious career. She's with the ABC now. Stephanie Brantz. How are you, Steph?
4: I'm really well, Jen. How
1: are you? Yeah, really good, Steph. And uh, you know, we love uh, talking about women's football on on this show, um, and uh, and we're really uh, excited that uh, we've got a you know a blockbuster grand final between two of the big names. So Sydney FC doing a bit better in the men's competition. Victory absolutely hopeless. So uh, it's good to see that their women's side <laughs> are holding up it in for the uh, the mega club of the of the southern capital. But uh, um, yeah, look, we we could have had a number of different combinations: Brisbane or Canberra obviously. Uh, Obviously made the finals as well, but uh, but this is a, a, a marquee grand final for the W League.
4: It absolutely is, and I think we've got two worthy sides here. I don't think that that final match of the regular season where we saw uh, Sydney FC beat Melbourne Victory to lift the Premiership uh, was indicative of what these sides can offer, and I think we'll get two sides much fresher And, uh, well, I strongly believe it will go down to the wire. I think it's going to be the most closely contested final in the 13 seasons of the W League.
2: Steph, um, the Dubs missed uh, a lot of Matilda's superstars this year and some international big names as well. But I've got to say... I'm more excited about this WLE Grand Final than I've ever been out of any others because I just think this season's been sensational and we've and we've really enjoyed being exposed to the, uh, the emerging uh, Matildas, if you want to call them that, the, the younger players in the competition. Do you feel the same way? Are you, are you really excited for this weekend's game?
4: And I think it is that, you know, that old cliche of uh, youth and experience and that mixing so well. I think this W League season has been a perfect example. On the most experienced side, you've got the players sort of in their uh, mid-30s like the Lisa Devanas, the Kendall Fletchers, uh, Teresa Palacis, 30 Michelle Heyman. They've been absolutely outstanding and they prove that that whole age is just a number thing. But then you've got 16-year-olds like Jessica Nash who did not look out of place in the Canberra back line. You've got... Uh, Kyra Cooney crosses. Lena Ayres has come into form. Claire Weir, well, uh, she didn't score in 71 W League games and she's absolutely on fire for Sydney FC now. It's going to be fantastic. And it really has given us a little bit of hope, I think, that uh, there is a future to the Matildas after this golden, or I think James Johnson called them a platinum generation, once they've uh, uh, sort of headed off into the sunset of their football careers, which, to be honest, is not for a few years now. But there's a really healthy crop of youngsters coming out behind them.
2: Certainly is near money. Next uh, little question: of, uh, If we put all the Sydney and Melbourne players together, and we looked at it from a positional perspective, and we had to choose a team, I'm going to just throw um, throw some of the positions at you and ask you to pick one, o- one oh, okay. over the other, Steph. So, so Jada Wyman or Gabby Gart- Gart- uh, Garton?
4: Do you know what this is? I hate this question.
2: <laughs> It's it's tough, isn't it? Because
4: I've just had to put together a team of the season for, uh, for my uh, ESPN uh, piece, and it's really tough. I actually went with Gabby Garton, and that was mainly because she kept seven clean sheets. It was the highest in the league. And when it came down to stats, they were both exceptional. Uh, Gabby edged out Jada purely on the fact she kept one more clean sheet, which p- perhaps isn't completely fair, but the goalkeeping is such a, a difficult one because when you look at Georgina Worth as well uh, for Brisbane Raw, you know, there were so many that were good. But for this weekend, I'm going Gabby Gunn.
2: Nat Tobin or Kayla Morrison?
4: Okay, I'm going to go Kayla for consistency, but I have to admit a bias for the Melbourne back line. I think they've been absolutely extraordinary this season.
2: They have, haven't they? And, and one of them obviously has been the Melbourne, uh, Melbourne Victory skipper, Angie Beard, but Ali Green, you know, the left backs, Ali Green, or Angie Beard. It's a tough one, isn't it?
4: That is a really tough one, especially because what's fresh in our minds is, is that, that absolutely rocket yeah, that's the goal. right.
2: <laughs> and the number six is this is a you know for me this is a great one because uh, you know Teresa Pollis she's just known as you know the heartbeat of Sydney FC a real uh, a real um, uh, benchmark setter there within that club. But Amy Jackson has been superb for Melbourne Victory. So Teresa Pollis or Amy Jackson?
4: Okay, Amy Jackson is the most experienced uh, Melbourne Victory player in appearances for that club, but I don't think this season you can go past Teresa Palais. As I mentioned, uh, she might be 30 years old. She might have played every single season uh, of the W League, but she is crucial in marshalling that midfield for Sydney FC and the leadership she has in that team is uh, unbelievable. She's going to be just the second player to reach seven grand finals in W League history. It's her 18th W League finals match uh, and yeah, I, I just can't go past her for that number six rule.
2: And uh, th- th- I, love, I love this one Claire, Claire Wheeler versus Kyra Cooney Cross. Who would you choose?
4: Oh, don't make me. Yeah, oh, you got to choose one. A terrible, horrible one. Uh, Claire Wheeler has been brilliant in, in recent weeks, but for me, Kyra Cooney Cross has had a breakout season after coming back from the Wanderers five goals, five assists. Uh, she's been absolutely extraordinary and what I love about her goals is that when she gets the ball in the middle of the park, she's quite capable of a pinpoint cross or she can send a rocket in from long range and nine times out of ten, she forces the keeper into a save. So, yeah, give me car.
2: And this is the big one. Remy Se- Seamson or Melina Ayres? Do
4: you know what? This one is a tricky one because uh, Seamson's top scorer for Sydney was seven an equal of, of her joint Golden Boot uh, appearances last season But Melina Ayres, wow, that hat trick she scored, uh, extraordinary. And I think that while she may have been quieter earlier on, she's the one that's uh, coming into this. This match in a hot streak of form.
2: Yeah, Melina is eight goals, but also five assists, leading the assists with Teresa Pilar. So, uh, and Stephanie, uh, just in case you didn't know, you did the right we, we
1: didn't even let you know no, that uh, no, you, no, Michael is uh, is Melina's manager as well. So you so you made a very oh. wise choice. We didn't even tip you wow. off. There. No, that's, <laughs> a that's a good one. one
2: there's there's another That's one that really we have got to talk about. All right, you got one more before. <laughs> well, be, one you're you're hogging all the limelight cuz I've Princess got one Princess go. Sabini or Catherine Zimmerman. This is why this game this, you know, is guys, a re- this, is, this is this game is a good game We're going to have an unbelievable this game torturous. this weekend. This
4: This is, this game is an absolute cracker. Uh, Princess I think has really come to her five goals of course this season, yep. one assist. Uh she's been a, a wonderful servant for Sydney, FC for a number of years now, but I think Catherine Zimmerman, and, and bear in mind, she's one of the, the American imports. Uh, she's shown uh, what her experience can offer and uh, six goals and assists for her uh, in the uh, 11 appearances. She was injured for a couple, so she came off the bench for two of those matches, but you could see that she was just a game changer when she came on. So I'd, I'd probably go with the navy blue on this
2: one. I'll tell you what, you, it's pretty close. So who are you going for, Steph? Who's your tip? <laughs>
4: You can't ask that because I'm calling it. <laughs> uh, okay, I. Do you know what? I said a few weeks ago that whoever won out of Sydney FC and Canberra United in that semi final, I thought would win the league. And then Melbourne victory went on to batter Brisbane Raw 6 2, of course, without Claire Polkinghorne and Emily Gilnick. And of course, Sydney FC were imperious uh, at Cogra on Monday. Uh, however, I wonder what difference Michelle Heyman would have made. If look, if if Melbourne Victory can do this, it'll be the biggest heist of the, the season coming from fifth spot, uh, what, five or six weeks ago to being in a grand final. I think they're a well-organised outfit, but yeah, home ground advantage. I think the Sydney team is settled. They've had to travel less. So I think it might be another Sky Blue season
1: this is box to box we're talking to Stephanie Brant the ABC Stephanie Brantz, obviously about the W League grand final uh, look for, for people who, who listen to this show and uh, and haven't watched a lot of the W League hopefully Stephanie's uh, word painting of this uh, uh, setup is uh, enough to encourage you to, to watch this game and if you're in Sydney get along I mean that's the thing uh, that uh, I, I find a little disappointing is that there, that there is uh, so much in in the way of um, of of uh, um, Participation for families, uh, for mums and dads who take their daughters and their sons to, to play every weekend, and and the W League just demands uh, a greater audiences. Uh, uh, last time the, the the grand final was played a couple of years ago at, uh, at Jubilee, the, even six thousand there is a good crowd. So hopefully we can we can beat that, Steph. And uh, you know we have got uh, two two uh, uh, very experienced coaches, uh, Jeff Hopkins and uh, an Ante Urich former soccer who uh, in, in charge of victory and, and Sydney FC. So, it's going to be a cracking game.
4: It sure is. And I hope that a lot of people turn out because I've personally been quite disappointed with the the numbers of uh, bums on seats for the semi finals. And I think that the the final really deserves it this season. The, the players in uh, what have been tricky uh, conditions, and albeit with, with COVID and, and the exodus of all those experienced players, they've put on. A hell of a show this season, and they deserve uh, a heap of support. I hope there's a number of victory uh, fans that will travel up because they certainly. There's
1: deserve- one in this studio. Oh, He's making the road, road trip now. tomorrow. <laughs> oh, I'm not biased. Oh, all,
4: all the way to Cogra?
1: Yeah, all the way to Cogra. <laughs> yeah, walking the whole way.
2: Yeah, <laughs>
4: <Right>. <laughs> yeah but I, I definitely think they, they deserve it. And apparently the weather's going to be good. I was out at Cogra for the, the men's match between Sydney FC and Perth Glory last night, and that was horrendous conditions. So if we can't beat the, the fan numbers there, uh, on Sunday, then there's something
1: wrong. Well, we'll beat the fan numbers from last year, of course, in the grand final because it was played behind closed doors. But that's another story. <laughs> <I'll take laughs> that's right. uh, hey, Steph, thank you so much for uh, for coming on the show. Uh, we uh, really grateful for your time. Enjoy the grand final, and uh, um, and then look, we've got a hell of a lot more women's football to look forward to. We've got the the internationals. Uh, we've got the the back end of the uh, the the uh, women's uh, super league in uh, in the UK. It's uh, it's all to look forward to the Olympics and the, the the oh, World Cup crazy. in a couple of weeks. yeah
4: and, and yeah, can you believe that in the next five days we've got three really important women's football matches? So there's, yeah. there's a heap to get behind. Uh, it's going to be a cracking weekend. So if mm-hmm. you can stay up from I think midnight till two a.m. to watch the Matildas take on Germany, and then uh, rock up at Cogra the next <laughs> day, and we'll give you a day off before you can watch the Matildas in the Netherlands. So heaps to enjoy, guys. Thanks so much for having me.
1: No, thank you, Steph Brandt. Stephanie Brantz from the ABC. Yeah, uh, uh, that is uh, our preview of the grand final, we're going to talk to one of the participants after the break. A very close friend, as we've said, of Box to Box, Melina Ayers. Uh, she really struck gold on the weekend with that uh, hat trick and hoping, uh, well, from Michael's point of view, that she can repeat that kind of form. So stick around. Melina Ayers, after the break, on Box to Box. Thank you, Steph. <laughs> no
4: worries. God. I thought it was going to
1: be a lot harder than that. Um, <laughs> seriously, those pick, it,
0: pick it. Box to Box. The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could
1: be the most Yes, peaceful. this is Box to Box on Nine Radio NTS News Talk Sport. We talked to Stephanie Brance before the break, previewing the grand final, W League grand final between Sydney FC and Melbourne Victory. But what better way to continue the conversation than to talk to one of the participants, our very own, very good friend, particularly of Michael, Melina Ayres, from the Melbourne Victory. How are you, Melina?
5: I'm good, I'm good. Glad Right
1: here on the show, finally. Oh, well, we've talked about you so many times, <laughs> and we've been just saying, uh, hey, Edge, um, when are you going to get Melina on? And he says, we'll wait, we'll wait, we'll wait. And then, uh, and then after you uh, scored uh, the hat-trick on the weekend, we thought, okay, we're at a grand final. We can't wait any longer. Um, so, look, the question before he takes over, because he does, you know, he uh, he likes to, uh, you know, take set of stage when it comes to particularly talking about women's football, but let alone having you on. But but just just reveal for our listeners just how uh, influential he has been or otherwise in, in your career. Well, we've got to ask the question first up. I know it's not about you, but uh, tell us, Melina, is, um, yeah, your friend um, Michael? Yeah, I mean,
5: wife is, been on many a, a coffee chat walk, um, especially in lockdown. Um, I'd mainly just go for the coffee, to be honest. But no, he's uh, Mike's backed me from I don't know how many years now. Um,
2: Probably five years, six I or reckon. Seven? Six or seven, yeah, longer.
5: Oh, yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. And I miss um, that little gag yeah, of yours I mean, there, there, Melina, where
1: you mainly just go for the coffee. The, the line broke up a little bit, but it was a good line.
5: Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, but no, Mike's been. Um, big supporter of mine So um, yeah so while now Starting at South Melbourne And um, Getting me across the victory And um, Yeah Still going strong
2: Certainly is Now Melina A couple of serious questions You've had an excellent season Eight goals You're third on the table Behind uh, Emily Gilnick And Michelle Heyman uh, Five assists You're leading The table With uh, Jointly with uh, Teresa Police. We know uh, How uh, sensational she is Sydney FC skipper Um what do you put your success this season down to? What's, uh, you know, if you had to summarise um, how this year's been so good for you, what would it be?
5: I think firstly, is just Jeff and uh, the club, none victory backing me for sort of long term. Um, I think that was a really good way to like kick off the season and be able to like set a few more long-term goals and um, just have that consistency a bit more. So, um, yeah, I think that, confidence that jeff jeff's like shown to have in me um yeah just gives you that bit of extra confidence in the back of your mind um and i think also working with um my mate lauris you yeah he's yep
2: the yep. great the great uh, man Loris Bertolacci. he's the funniest man on uh, on instagram um just the world doesn't know it
5: yeah that's soon to be discovered surely um yeah, working with Loris over the phone and just getting myself fitter and especially over last year um, with a lot of time at home. Um, so I think I came into this season probably as as good as I've come in. Um, and also the opportunity of having like the no internationals or not many internationals has really allowed my sort of age group to get a go and show um, everyone what we can do. Um, and also just like, Having the support crew of you know my dad and my brother and Mike especially and family and friends that are just always you know asking me how I'm going and positive criticism or constructive criticism all the time that um yeah just having that really good support crew around me just really made me want to um you know do well for myself but also. Um,
1: see the smile on their faces. This is box to box on Nine Radio. NTS News Talks. What well, we're talking to rising star at the Melbourne Victory, Molina, airs ahead of Sunday's grand final where the Victory take on Sydney FC.
2: Yeah, there's definitely Team Molina, and the uh, the bandwagon is growing, Molina, which is great to see. We, we've got plenty of room for people on Team Molina. Um, Three years ago, you crossed to Melbourne Victory. It was a big decision at the time. Uh, we we agonised over it, didn't we? But um, you made a connection with Jeff Hopkins and um, this year, it seems that partnership that you've built over the three years is really um, having benefits. Can you tell us a little bit about your partnership with Jeff and just the impact he's had on your development?
5: Yeah, I think he's, like I was saying before, the, the back backing in for the three years now um, really has shown his faith in me and, yeah, especially when I first moved over. He um was yeah, got a few of us young ones like Mindy and Kyra across and he really was pushing us to um, you know, push for the starting spots against some pretty good internationals. Um, I mean he's been like my heart is pretty thin, biggest supporter at the same time. And I think that's really important in a coach I'd rather have that like positive and negative feedback. So on learning stuff. And, I mean, he's just such an experienced coach and brings so much passion to the games and training. And, you know, you just want to do well to see the smile on his face. And, um, yeah, I mean, he's a pretty funny bloke too.
2: No, that's good. Now, there is a rumour floating around uh, the inner eastern suburbs of Melbourne that you are actually missing Liam, your brother's 18th birthday party, on Saturday night because, obviously, you're flying up on Saturday. But have you thought about chucking a sickie just so you can – you can go to the eighteenth birthday party, I know how close you two are.
5: Yeah, I mean I did try this week but I think I'm <laughs> gonna be I think I'm gonna be better for uh for Sunday, so yeah, I might have to uh face time him in. Um and see how it's going. But uh hope he's coming up on Sunday, so hopefully he's not too dusty.
2: Yeah, would well, you reckon he'll make the plane.
5: Yeah, I mean Dad Dad's getting in there, whether he likes it or not.
2: <laughs> That's great. Um, well, Melina, it is absolutely sensational to talk to you. I'm sure Rob's uh, got another question for you.
1: Yeah, I do. Um, Melina, we've watched closely your growth as a player and your maturity as a young woman Um you've really um, turned a corner in this past um, season and, and more really uh, the COVID season as well where you, you've got yourself super fit and um, and that's the the difference for uh, a professional sports person uh, between performing at a uh, at a you know a moderate uh, a good level so to speak and, and an elite level just how does that level of fitness now that you've achieved um, uh, how do you feel as a player when you go out there does it does it give you more confidence um, in your ability, uh, knowing that um, that you've left no stone unturned?
5: Yeah, I think definitely. This year has probably been, I guess, well, well, the best year I've felt where I cannot think about the game at all or worry about it. In terms of fitness, I can just go out there and I know that I can run out of game um, and I can put in the, the amount of sprints I need to put in and the amount of high-speed metres and... Looking at like the GPS stats, like, cause I can see that I'm doing a lot more than last year, and I guess it's having an effect on the field, and I'm getting in more sort of key moments in the game because I can get there because I'm that bit fitter. CS um, so yeah, really just helped me take my game to the next level, and yeah, have probably the best season I've had yet.
1: Definitely, that, that's uh, that's definitely the case. And you're only 21 years old. Uh, you've got so many uh, uh, examples of success in women's football uh, that have come from this country. The the women's Super League in uh, in England is, is littered. Uh, continental Europe, America, uh, the opportunities are there for for elite performing uh, uh, female footballers these days. Uh, your aspirations in terms of uh, of going perhaps to Europe or the states. Um, have you heard from uh, the uh, Matilda's camp at all? Uh, any any word uh, in terms of the next stages of your career?
5: Um, I'm talking to Laura Brock before and um, they're really enjoying being back together in camp over there. Um, they're just happy to see everyone's face again and get back into some training and stuff um, and preparing for the Olympics. Uh, it's just a really exciting time with the the World Cup on the horizon and, you know, this season of W League where a lot of my age groups Sort of Come out of their shells And you know I'm making the, the headlines um, Rather than the You know Overseas internationals So Yeah it's a really exciting time To be To be where I am
2: Well Melina um, Put your best foot forward On the weekend We'll, uh, we'll be up there uh, Watching uh, Every step you make And uh and I'm sure um, the grudge match between Sydney and Melbourne victory is going to be something to see, a grand final for the ages. Um, just the last one from me is uh, you get called Gary a fair bit. Uh, I mean, I know where this comes from, but uh, is it catching on?
5: It was, ai can't remember, which, I think it was out at Knox actually with South Melbourne and i scored a goal and the commentator just said, I don't call a Gary for nothing and we're all a bit confused because I mean, I've never called been called Gary before. I mean, I don't, <laughs> why would I have? But um, and then everyone started calling me Gary because they thought it was pretty funny that he said that. Um, yeah, and it's stuck with a few of the couple of the girls at Victory who are at South Melbourne too, like um, Tiff and Nat Martinu. Um, so yeah, it's sticking around, but. It might be gaining some
1: traction. And for those uh, of you who don't live in the AFL states, Gary Hayes, of course, was the uh, the Hawthorn uh, spearhead captain. Uh, he uh, he played multiple premierships, uh, five AFL VFL premierships. Uh, so uh, so like we can sort of see why uh, Nathan Lyon gets Gary Gary Lyon AFL footballer. But uh, we, we might try to work on something a little bit more feminine for you, Molina, uh, as, as we go and, uh, and and impose on each to uh, to. to well, give it wasn't that me. To. I was just you know we just. Well, he it's was calling you Gaz Off Air, so... Yeah, we I, mean, call, I call it Gaz Off bit you, actually, because it's a bit of fun. Yeah. I, I was looking at famous people with the name Ayers. I mean, the first one I go to is Agnes Ayers, who was an American silent film actor um, 100 years ago. So Maybe we, not, maybe we'll maybe go not Agnes. Agnes. No, we'll find a better one. <laughs> hey, um, Melina... Lovely to talk to you. Um, we, we hear your story uh, from Michael and uh, we're inspired by it and uh, we wish you all the best uh, for the grand final this week and what a time it is to be a young uh, female f- footballer in this country. Um, it, the world's ahead of you and uh, and we really uh, uh, hope uh, it all works out uh, in the future as uh, starting this Sunday.
5: Thanks very much and uh, i an honour to be on the show. And uh, just a little quick shout out to Dad who um, flew up to Queensland and surprised me at the game. So, He picked
1: a good one to come to. Uh Good on him, the good luck charm, the hat-trick hero. Um, Well (laughs) done, Melina. Good luck on Sunday. Thank
5: you. Thanks,
1: guys. And to our Sydney FC listeners, I know uh, Michael Alifachi from Storage King listens to us really religiously and he'll say, yeah, you know, Melina, but come on, don't be so biased. And uh, we're not my biased, Michael. We love Melina. And uh, and if Sydney happened to win on Sunday, then that's just the way the cookie crumbles, my friend. All right, that's the W League Grand Final. We've discussed it at length. We're going to turn to the A-League after the break on Box to Box.
0: Box to Box. Can you believe-
1: the chemist Warehouse,
0: home of real brands and real savings.
1: And Storage King,
0: the kings of storage, moving, and more. And this could be
1: the most crucial. Yes, goal. this is box to box. We've been chock a blocker with W League so far in the hour, but we're going to talk A League now, uh, shortly with Dino. But before we do, uh, what we are going to talk about, our very good friends at Storage King is your home running out of space? You're decluttering, moving, renting, downsizing, or creating a home office? If you are, well, Storage King has the answer to your space issue. They have stores everywhere. There's a location just around the corner, in the cities, in the regions. They have a crack team of storage professionals. They'll help you find the size of storage unit you need. They'll help you with boxes and packing materials. They'll help you with a van, a truck, a trailer if you need to move. They'll like Storage King, your First choice, your only choice, they are the kings of storage, moving in will Go to storageking.com.au to find that nearest store of yours and let Storage King give you back some space. And remember, the top rating show on Saturday nights in Australia in all the capital cities and the regions is Space Invaders. Storage King are a major part of that show. It's all about decluttering your life. Uh, it's uh, very entertaining. 600,000 people watching it every single week. Uh, that's Saturday night on Channel 9. Okay, um, that's Storage King. Uh, we're going to talk Aleg Willem.
3: Yeah, and the first item on the agenda, Rob, is that Western United emerge again over the past week. They've picked up a a crucial win against Melbourne City. That was perhaps unexpected, and then they got what they were expected to get done against Newcastle as well. So that's six points in a week, Dino. If you look at the table, they are genuinely looming as the sleeper now. They are still outside the top six, they're in seventh, but they've played the least amount of games of any team in the comp. They've played 13. When you look at the Wanderers, uh, by comparison, they've played 16, and they're only four points ahead of Western United. And their draw is favourable as well at Western United. Within their next six games, they're going to play Wellington twice. I mean, Wellington are no easy beats, but they have been losing games. Newcastle and the victory as well. So we know over their season and a half in the A-League, they're brilliant at their best, but a bit inconsistent. But things are looking rosy for them if they can uh, put some consistency together.
6: Yeah, without doubt. I mean, um, it's been a big week for them. And I think that six points uh, is really important at this stage of the the season. And as you say, with the running coming in and and that confidence now that they've uh, they've won two games in, let's say, a week, um, they're going to be obviously really hard to beat uh, into the finals.
3: And Philip Curto in goal has been magnificent uh, across his two and a half seasons with the A-League, but he is at the moment warming the pine behind Ryan Scott. He's been brilliant since he's gotten his chance, Dean, and I'm wondering if you uh, have any comments on him, considering he started out at Bentley Greens in the NPL.
6: Yeah, he did. Uh, I know Scotty really well. Um, And, you know, he's he's one one, a really lovely lad, which is always important. Uh, But he's a good goalkeeper. I mean, he's not not the tallest in the world, but... uh, you know, I think he's a, he's a decent shot stopper. Uh, he's decent with his feet, uh, apart from the time when uh, the manager gave him a bit of a roast and to belting it out. But we'll do it. <laughs> he learned very that. quickly. Yep. He didn't learn very quickly on that one. But no, look, I think I'm pleased for Scotty, and I'm actually pleased for, uh, for Rude as well.
3: Michael, the next headline is that Western Sydney Wanderers against Central Coast Mariners, when they met on Tuesday, produced the best of the A-League. We all know this has been the best season in probably four or five years. I thought that Tuesday night clash took it to another level. High quality from start to finish. It ended 2-2. It had that big game feel as well. I think... Over the course of the last couple of seasons, the A-League hasn't had that many big games, and that's credit to Sydney FC, because every you know they've been expected to win everything, and whenever there has been a big game without them, it's felt like teams are playing for second. There were two sets of supporters in the ground as well, which certainly helps. Um, yeah, we haven't had games like this for for a long time. High quality team goals as well, particularly the uh, the one that Urenya set up for Matt Simon and Bruce Kamau's one as well. Four or five Wanderers players involved. If you know, they're, they're quality team goals anywhere around the world. And this was on a Tuesday night, so just imagine what can happen when we can get crowds back properly. And if this was on a Saturday afternoon, I think uh, I think yeah, that game took it to another level.
2: I think you're right, Willem. It Was an excellent game. I love to uh, I love watching it. Uh, for me, though, even though it was a draw and. Um uh, they shared the points. I thought Western Sydney, Sydney Wanderers would be smiling a bit because Central Coast, they've played a few extra games and it just seems to me the pack's starting to encroach on Central Coast's uh, very good start to the season. I'm not sure whether they're going to physically stand up towards the end of the season because they've had such a fantastic start to the season. So um, you talked about Western United sort of emerging. Um, some of these clubs are, are bound to catch them uh, in a little while. but
1: yeah, of little faith, I can't believe that we had this same conversation six, seven years ago about um, a certain Leicester City <laughs> foxes and they went all the way. Just uh, hold your horses there, gentlemen. I'm still a, a man of faith.
3: But if you look at the two matches they've had across the last week, Rob, they had a 2-1 against Adelaide, uh, and they did win that. But, you know, notes of the grindstone, they had to go to the well, and then they had to pull it out again, uh, Wanderers 2-2. Earlier in the season, they were having a couple of easier results where they could just uh, cruise through, but they're targeted now, and they're having to work off every many point. How many
1: clubs have got a player eyeing off a, uh, a a genuine European contract in the middle of the A-League season? Oh, you've read the bulletin, Rob. Mm, yeah, one. So, uh, Alec Kowal, t- uh, Bundesliga style. No, look, you just one of us will be right, and I suspect it'll be me.
3: Okay. <laughs> Dina, Dina.
1: Well, yeah,
6: am I, am, am I actually going to back that up now, am I Well, I'm expecting <laughs> you to
1: support me. I support you when you're not here, especially. Um,
6: yeah, look, I, look, I, I tend to agree. Yeah, I do. I, do, actually. You, I, mean, I think Central Coast get, oh, no, get off the fence, Dean. Get off the fence. I think that's Are they going to be, to be caught
2: by Sydney, Western United, Western Sydney Wanderers? Are they no, all going to overtake so. them?
6: No, I don't think so. I think I think they've done enough.
3: You uh, might have so a look at the they're ladder.
2: They're thirty uh, points top of the ladder. What else can you do? Get
3: more games than exactly they right. Yeah, but they're working yeah. really hard for those points now, Rob. Look, I'm a believer as well, and I hope that we can continue. No, no, to ride we're this celebrating the fall, their success. I'm just saying, mm. maybe,
2: maybe the other teams are going to start
3: to catch him. You've
1: been too pessimistic, Willem. On to the
3: third point, Dino, Melbourne City are going to be without a, a critical player. Um, I know it's there on your notes, Dino, but just go along with me. Most people would agree that Jamie McLaren City's most important player, but who would you have yeah. as the second?
6: Well, I think, I think you'd lean in for me to say uh, Atkinson. Spot on, Nathaniel <laughs>
3: Atkinson. Well yeah, done, Dino. And I,
6: think, and I think I think there's, there's real good reason for that as well. He's very, very consistent. And, uh, you know, hamstring as well, that's... Always can be quite naughty So I think that's a big, big loss to them
3: Yeah, we know they play the inverted uh, wing back system And he's crucial in yeah. that He does his defensive duties But when it's time for him to, to go forward He drops a, uh, anchor and gets forward And he's pretty much a second winger on the right there With Andrew Naboot. They've got the depth in the squad With Jamison, Garuccio and Galloway So he'll be replaced But uh, I don't think they'll be able to replicate his output, Michael And I think he'll be gone uh, for finals Because he'll be with the Oli Roos And if he wasn't with the Oli Roos I think he'd probably be with the Socceroos
2: Interesting one, isn't it, because they got rid of him because um, yeah, he was going to Perth, remember, he'd signed with Perth and um, sources suggest that was because of the fallout of uh, around the Olly stuff in Cambodia that the club wasn't too happy about. But they've held on to him and haven't they been happy they've done that because he really has um, been one of the players that's emerged this year and you're right, they're going to miss him.
3: Still in the 21, feels like he's been around for a long time. and the final he's a bit point. off the Socceroos,
2: just quietly. I, 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 okay. I think he's um, absolutely a... A foundation stone in the Olyroos, but um, I think he's a little way to go before he's in Socceroos mentions. So I think he needs to get a, a club overseas to do that.
3: Okay, fair enough. And the final point, Rob, you've beaten me to it. Alou Qual to Stuttgart is looking highly likely. Vince Rogari broke this yarn throughout the week, and it was the cause of a little bit of angst uh, within the uh, the discourse of the Australian public. On one hand, uh, it's a magnificent move, and for a player of his age, his talent and of his background. That's a life-changing move and he has to take it. But I can understand why people might be a little bit hesitant because we've had so many of these shooting stars come through the uh, the Australian game and a lot of the time the early move doesn't work out. So I can understand why people might be a little bit disappointed. But in this instance, Stuttgart have such a magnificent uh, youth development record that this is a groundbreaking move and I'm highly excited to see how it plays out. If it does, go ahead.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, we don't have a lot of time to talk about it, but they are known as a king-making club. There's a, there's a, a catalogue of Players who have made their careers at Stuttgart, and uh, and look, I just think a young guy brimming with confidence like uh, Alu Kual uh, if he's got the chance, then well, he's not. Wouldn't be the last player to, to come back and uh, and resume his career here. So look, when opportunity knocks, open the door. That's what I say. All right, well, well done, Dino. Thank you, mate. Well done. Alright, Michael um, Okay, a busy next hour coming up We've talked domestic football We're going to go to Europe in the next hour We're going to talk Newcastle Champions League, Premier League The lot, Euros You stick around After the break It's all coming up on Box to Box
0: Now, this is Box to Box With Rob Gilbus And Michael Edgley Oh, what a goal! For, for Canis Warehouse Home of real brands and real savings And
1: Storage King
0: The kings of storage moving ah, Absolutely fantastic!
1: Yes, this is Box to Box on Nine Radio NTS News Talk Sport. It was all about the W League in the first hour. It did get a bit of A League in there, but it was good to finally chat with Molina. Ayres, of course, Stephanie Brantz as well. But a busy second hour coming up. First of all, we will have second edition news with Mil- Willem momentarily. Then we're going to talk to Chris Waugh from The Athletic. We talked to Chris last year about Newcastle United. There never seems to be a dull moment uh, uh, around Newcastle. St James's Park, there's always a story going on. You know, they're always uh, the underachurned biggest club in uh, in the land if you talk to uh, uh, Geordie supporters but uh, they are battling relegation as they often do we're going to talk to Chris wall from the athletic all about that we're going to talk more Europe with Dino and Derek uh, lots going on in the Premier League as it comes to a head and the uh, Champions League of course and uh, we'll chat Europe uh, euros in stoppage time. Uh, Willem, you've got a bunch more to tell us, so why don't you tell us?
3: I do, Rob. Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army to start. The biggest few years in Matilda's history are ahead, as we know, and the journey resumes this week. If you want to be part of it, you'll need to join the Green and Gold Army, and you can do so by signing up to the mailing list at gga.travel.com. Sam Kerr tuned up for her return to national duty with a lazy hat-trick in a 6-0 win over Birmingham City. The treble takes her to 17 goals for the campaign, level atop the standings with Arsenal's Vivian Medim. Lydia Williams was back in goal and keeping a clean sheet for Arsenal in a 4-0 win over Bristol, in which Caitlin Ford was subbed off at half-time. Ella Mastrantonio, eyeing off a long-awaited return to the national team, played 65 minutes. And finally, Emily van Egmond played a full match for West Ham. They are, as we know, in danger of the drop, so they'll be delighted to have beaten Reading 5-0. To the Gents, Martin Boyle continues to score every other week for Hibs. He netted in their fourth-round FA Cup victory over Queen of the South. Jackson Irvine also continues to play regularly in midfield. He went up. After 75 minutes. To the championship, Harry Sutar and Stoke went down to Millwall 2 1. And Maslowongo, concerningly, uh, with uh, a lot of soccer action on the horizon, Michael, still can't get on the park for Sheffield Wednesday. But in some brighter and perhaps surprising news, Riley McGree, he's played just 70 minutes of first team football in 2021 at Birmingham until he returned to the starting lineup at. On the left of a back five, would you believe? Played the full 90 and impressed from what I could gather in their nil-all draw at Brentford. So interesting positional swap there, Riley, but a highly uh, technical place And he has the tank as well, so you could see him getting up and down the wing. To Asia, Ange Postacoglu's Yokohama have won four and drawn two in their last six, so they're on a, a good roll of form there. While Mitch Langerak, this story, I bring it up every week, but it just keeps getting better and better. He's kept another clean sheet for Nagoya, their second after eight matches, still conceded just the one goal. And a bonus Socceroos story uh, at the back end of the Bulletin. Jackson Irvine's indicated senior Socceroos are going to, meet, uh, to discuss a means of protest uh, against Qatar's human rights record ahead of their World Cup qualifiers resuming. It's estimated 6,500 migrant workers have died since Qatar won the event rights in 2010, the majority of these during the construction of the stadiums. The Socceroos would be following the lead of Belgium, Germany, Norway and the Netherlands in protesting. While of course uh, as opposed to all of this, Tim Cahill remains an official ambassador of the tournament. So this is a story everyone's got a little bit of awareness about, Rob. It's just bubbling for now but as we get closer to the tournament, you think it would be cacophonous by the uh, the time we actually get there.
1: Yeah, we touched on this at the top of the show as well, didn't we, Willem? And uh, it, it's not going to go away, um, that's for sure. Uh, the, um, the the um, head of steam is building. Um, it's a genuine story. Um, look, we always hoped that some good would come out of the awarding of the World Cup to Qatar that uh, that things would change, um, have things changed? Uh, the uh, uh, people who run football in Qatar and uh, and the Qataris uh, in uh, politics tell us it has, but the uh, the numbers don't lie when you talk about the the numbers of immigrant workers that have uh, have died over the journey. So um, yeah, I suspect as we get closer to this World Cup that the eyes of uh, certain investigative journalists will be on uh, this tournament, and um, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's far from over.
3: The AFC is set to build on their 2019 Women's Club Championship with a full Champions League to be rolled out by 2023. Two more editions of the club championship will be played in the meantime, with the format and calendar of the larger tournament to be decided as a result. The tournament will hopefully keep Asia at the forefront of women's football, having had no representation in the quarterfinals of a World Cup for the first time in 2019, Michael. And this, of course, just means more football for our our W League sides and international experience as a result. One of the key issues with the W League is there's not enough matches. This will only apply to a few teams, so it only rectifies it a little bit. But the victory went over to the club championship in 2019 they got a pasting on the pitch but by all reports they relish the chance to go and play in a continental tournament so this can only be a good thing for the w league
2: it is and uh, the australian teams uh, struggled against uh, the japanese and chinese teams so um, and that's because of the um, just the professional nature of uh, of those two leagues so um, yeah i'm excited to see uh, this continue Um, and i think the more we play the better the more exposure we get, the better we will get. And obviously it means also that the, the, uh, the clubs that go will, will think about their squads in a bit more detail and maybe try and um, pad them out a little bit to um, provide them with um, cover uh, when they go across. But I know um, of the young players that went across uh, for Melbourne Victory and, uh, and uh, Sydney, I believe, um, they, uh, they all um, had a great experience and did very well.
3: Over to England, Chelsea responded to their weekend jobbing at the hands of West Brom uh, with a 2-0 win over Porto in the first leg of their Champions League tie. With both legs being played in Seville due to travel restrictions between Portugal and the UK, this counted as Chelsea's away leg, meaning they look strong favourites to progress.
6: And that's an error and Chilwell is straight onto it and in on goal, Ben Chilwell. He's gone round the goalkeeper and tucks it in Chelsea's second goal. Ben Chilwell for Chelsea, it's 2-0 on the night, and you have to say that that goal has been coming for much of the second half.
3: I'm sure Derek and Dean will talk about it a little bit uh, more later on in the show, Rob, but that was Chelsea's seventh clean sheet from nine European assignments, which just makes the fact that they shipped five to West Brom, having Mm. lost a man in the first half, all the more remarkable.
1: Yeah, I guess it's uh, one of those outlier results that you see from time to time, uh, but it's uh, the matter of bouncing back. And bouncing back in the Champions League, uh, two-legged tie where both have to be played away from home is a testament to just what Thomas Tuchel's done there. So uh, the um, the turnaround in form and consistency of Chelsea since his arrival has been remarkable. Uh, and uh, and alongside of the uh, the women's team with, uh, with our very own Sam Kerr, uh, uh, everything's starting to look a little bit... Uh, Rosier uh, down at Stamford Bridge these days it
3: certainly is the Aviva Stadium in Dublin is at risk of being stripped of its four matches for the Euros after the Irish FA failed to provide assurances over spectator numbers. All host nations for the Euros were required to submit their plans for the amount of uh, people that will be in the grounds by Wednesday. Hampton Park in Glasgow was also looking tenuous, but they've had a twelve thousand person capacity approved just before the deadline. Uh, we'll have a quick whip around of what the uh, the uh, spectator numbers will be. Wembley, the Johan Cruyff Arena in Amsterdam, Bilbao, Copenhagen and Bucharest are all going to host between ten to 13,000 people, while in St Petersburg, Michael, they could hold up to 34,000.
2: Yeah, time will tell. I don't know how they can have anybody in the ground uh, considering uh, the state of COVID in Europe. It's just going nuts again, so yeah, I think uh, all of this... But that's on continental Europe. There's it's starting
1: to turn in England, and they're no, but to but up, up a No, but don't forget these well, these so. uh, euros are all over the place. Yeah, yeah. no, but the, but the um, the point I'm, I guess I'm making is that, that obviously the uh, the FA have put their hand up to host
2: as many games as, as yeah. They so can, it means so. Um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see whether um, games are taken away from locations. So I think that's the. I reckon there will be. Yeah, yeah I, can, I guess they, how we'll, can they not? Yeah. Anyway, we'll talk about this in stoppage time. Aren't yeah.
3: We? So yeah. do you think maybe they're putting the pressure on? Uh, the Irish FA and everyone to put their plans forward so that they, if they fail to meet deadlines, they can reduce the numbers.
1: Oh, well, they can just at least be prepared to to, to shift the games. Well, and, and, and as we're going um, to park some time in stoppage time to talk about this. But I think the Irish are less motivated because they didn't make the tournament as well.
3: No, fair enough, that makes sense. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's petulant tantrum at the conclusion of Portugal's clash with Serbia has led to 91,000 Australian being raised for an ill local child. Firefighter Georgi Vucecevic was pitchside in Belgrade and pocketed the armband Ronaldo threw on the ground as he stormed off. Uh, he then donated it to a local auction where it was bought by a bookmaker with the proceeds to fund treatment for a six-month-old with spinal muscular atrophy. So that is... Uh, yeah, that's that, was, that was off, a lovely off, story, and, uh,
1: and if you find it, uh, somewhere online, you'll you'll hear uh, the words of the, of the mum. So regardless of whether you know a cure can be found for this uh, beautiful little fella, uh, the uh, inspiration that it's given both him and his family to know that uh, that people that they don't know have uh, have just put their hand up to help. Uh, so uh, so Cristiano, he was pretty. Well, pissed off uh, when uh, when that up because it was goal that he, he did score. Uh, mm. But uh, uh, he, as you say, his petulance had a uh, a nice silver lining, isn't it? <laughs> and well done to Georgi Vucecevic. Hats off to Georgi. Well done if you're listening. Okay, well, um, nice news. There. Okay. A after the break. Yes, <laughs> yeah, always do that. Always do. Just sit back and relax and enjoy your stylings. Okay, Chris Wall from The Athletic. We're going to talk Newcastle after the break, St James's Park. It always seems to be chaos there. One day they'll win the title and the, the joint will absolutely blow up. But uh, right now they're trying to uh, stave off relegation. We're going to find out from Chris just what's going on. Will Steve Bruce keep his job? That's next on Box to Box.
0: Box to Box. <laughs> The chemist Warehouse Home of real brands and real savings And Storage King The kings of storage, moving and more And this
1: could be the most crucial Yes, this is Box to Box on 9 Radio NTS and News Talk Sport We've covered all the domestic football so far on the show but uh, anyone who listens to this show everyone who is on this show has a, a very, very keen interest in what goes on in football around the world and there's a club that uh, that always seems to have stories going on about it It's uh, From the outside you perceive it as a, as a a mega club in its own city, but uh, it just doesn't get the results. It gets relegated from time to time. It's always in a relegation scrap, and it's another one this time. And a man who covers the beat at Newcastle is Chris War from The Athletic. How are you, Chris?
7: Well, thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, this is sort of the... It's called the Sobop Record by a lot of fans of the, the clubs in England because there's always something uh, going on, usually uh, quite negative in many senses that unfortunately seems to derail the club in the last 18 months in particular certainly the last few months have been uh really difficult for supporters it's difficult to see a sort of way forward they have the hope of the prospective takeover which has all been taken away from them obviously haven't been able to be inside the ground the team hasn't been playing very well they're not very happy with the head coach and Frustration at the owner, and it's all just sort of really added up to this sort of negative
1: situation at the minute. So they're sitting in seventeenth spot, uh, three points, uh, so a game in hand uh, as well over Fulham. So you'd have to think that uh, that based on um, on the form that that they've most recently showed um, against uh, against um, Spurs, that um, they uh, they've got the game in them, and Steve Bruce has got capacity, but uh, it's not as easy as that, is it?
7: No, unfortunately not. And I mean, the, they did show good form against Spurs in terms of they played well, but in the end they still couldn't win against the Spurs side who really struggled. And it's now two wins in twenty-one in all competitions. Newcastle two and nineteen in the league. And I think a lot of the frustration externally from Newcastle fans is they look at the performance last weekend and they think, well, where's that been for a while? And also they look at the personnel and the way that the team tried to play. And they've been playing a different formation in recent weeks four or five players such as Matt Ritchie, Sean Longstaff, Jacob Mercy, Dwight Gale, hadn't been starting matches. they get brought back in and made a huge impact. And it's sort of like, not only have the problems sort of been, they have had it injuries to big players like Alan San Maximum, Miguel Almoron and Callum Wilson, but also the head coach himself. Steve Bruce has been making these selection decisions and sort of people are wondering whether he's been picking the wrong players for a while now.
8: Yeah, Chris, on the fans, you mentioned them there and of course, you know, the city is a bit of a goldfish bowl and even if the fans aren't in the ground, the players and the club management will certainly know what fans are thinking. Do you think that there's the fact that there's been no fans in St James's Park this year, has that been a hindrance to Newcastle with a famous atmosphere in the ground or do you think the uh, lockdown has kind of saved them from the fans in many ways and that actually might be to their advantage?
7: I think that it's been... To a disadvantage to them in many senses, yes, because fans have historically been the sort of linchpins for the castle have been key. But equally, I mean, that's been the same issue for other clubs who haven't had the support as well. And I think it would be an easy thing to just be able to, to sort of level it at that. I also think before pre-pandemic, the castle had already lost a significant number of supporters in terms of term permanent season ticket. They also had to give away 10,000 free half season tickets to get more fans in the ground. So that bond has almost become fractured once Rafa Benitez left in 2019 anyway. And there's been a lot of debate at the moment amongst supporters and, and amongst sort of funders around the area. as to If fans are allowed into the final two games of the season as there is talk that they may be able to, will that actually be to Newcastle and Steve Bruce's benefits? Because if it got to the point where they really needed to win the final home game against Sheffield United, some supporters have already made it clear they will be protesting against Steve Bruce and that they want the head coach out. But equally, they're going to be conflicted because they will want to support the team. And so if there can be 10,000 fans in for that game, it will be a very strange atmosphere. And so I think it's, Steve Bruce certainly could consistently wish his fans had been in. And I think in terms of an atmosphere point of view, He's right, but I also think that he probably has avoided some of the scrutiny that the fans haven't been
8: there. Let's talk about Steve Bruce then. He has certainly been a lightning rod for criticism of, of the fans this season. The commentary from the media and from the fans is that Bruce really hasn't evolved his style of play. He's been in management a long time and, um, you know, maybe he's not tactically as astute as you need to be to survive in the the Premier League. You look at Graham Potter, another uh, club, Brighton, who are now pulling away. Do you feel, is Bruce unfairly treated, or do you think, you know, he is a little bit out of his depth in the Premier League these days?
7: I wouldn't necessarily say that Bruce is unfairly treated. I think some fans had... Preconceptions of them from before he came in, and many of them will probably argue that the way things have panned out, they those preconceptions have turned have proven to be true. But I think that what Steve Bruce has historically been seen as, as as a good man manager, and a lot of what he does, I think, is 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 in that sense. He builds a good rapport to begin with with a lot of players, and I think he was seen as a, a break from some of the players from from the Rafael regime, which was. Um, which they really enjoyed, but it was very intense and it's been a bit more relaxed since Steve Bruce has come in, but things have started to fall apart a little bit in, in recent months. There have been some uh, fallout of players, a well publicized one with, with Matt Ritchie. And, and I think that the tactic issue has been, has become a bit of a problem because there's been certain matches where Newcastle appear to have been outsourced by the opposition and um, they haven't necessarily responded to the opposition's tactics and that is something which Steve Bish is coming for criticism about, and he sort of dismissed that in many ways. But certainly you speak to a few players who have worked with them previously, and they say that tactics aren't his, his main thing. Now, that necess- wouldn't necessarily be too much of an issue if he had someone in his backroom staff who was run the tactics, and the capital made the strange move in January. Rather than change head coach, they brought in additional assistant in uh, Graeme Jones, who was a Geordie, who had been um, assistant at Bournemouth, had worked with Roberto Martinez for a lot of years, and now Belgian manager. And he brought in a few different tactical influences, but they worked initially. Haven't worked so much as well in, in recent weeks. And uh, Bruce is, is is under a lot of scrutiny because of that. And I think he, he's struggling to work out what his best system and what his best team is
8: at the moment. We're speaking to Chris War from the Athletic on his club Newcastle United and whether they can avoid the Premier League drop this season. Let's maybe look at something more positive, Chris. Um, what players in this Newcastle squad? will be able to look at themselves in the mirror at the end of the season and say, look, despite everything that's happened, whether they go up or down, they've actually had a pretty decent season. Who have been the highlights?
7: Well, Sri one player who's not in a team at the moment and who wasn't very happy with the manner in which he was dropped, at least out of the medium who was, has called all the goalkeeper who was in goal for the first twenty odd games of the season. Uh, there was a lot of doubts about him when Marty Bragg, the first try to score people, got injured last summer. But, but Carl Darlow was excellent and has been worth a lot of points in the capital season. So certainly he can. Callum Wilson as well, who was the big signing last summer. And he spent £20 million on a 28-year-old experienced Premier League centre forward, which is very un-Mike Ashley. It's, it's not something that's come before the Mike Ashley era. And he, he scored 10 goals. He's been key. And, and he's been a huge miss when he's been out in the last few weeks so he certainly can look upon that as well miguel Almiron as well in this field i think probably can, can, you can see that he's had it had a good season in many senses. he's had to shift positions and he's been up and down in that sense but then i'd say the majority of the rest of the squad at various points have underperformed and and sam as well as a crucial player but he's, he, he's missed so much of the season to injuries and counseling. castle have missed the big players have been affected by injuries and covid that has undoubtedly affected their position but I also think that far too many players have underperformed or haven't delivered what was necessarily expected of them and so there aren't going to be too many of course you can go into the
1: the, the plus columns there. So Chris, well, before we let you go, the inevitable question—I mean, obviously—the the, the uh, Damocles sword uh, spectre of uh, ownership hangs over the club. We don't know where that's going right now. But uh, I read in your article uh, a few days ago uh, on the Athletic uh, that uh, that that match we talked about earlier in this uh, discussion—the the, the two-all draw against Spurs—gave uh, the club uh, something to grasp on to, uh, a sign that doom is not inevitable, uh, um, and that while wins are still agonisingly elusive It felt like a small step forward So the question is Do you think Newcastle will survive uh, Or uh, is the trapdoor um, creaking uh, further open for them uh, And the drop inevitable?
7: If you'd asked me after the Brighton game Which was just probably a national break When Newcastle lost three you nil, know, at that point I was pretty pessimistic And I thought that Newcastle would go But I think last weekend Maybe there was a bit of a psychological switch For um, Lost a game that they were heading and, and probably were targeting to try and win, and Newcastle ended up getting drawn. I think that Fulham in the last two matches will be disappointed with their points return, and So at this moment in time, I think that Newcastle will just about survive. More because of Fulham's failures than their own successes, but I think they will just have enough to survive.
1: Well, we do have a soft spot for Newcastle uh, on this show, Chris. So we hope you're right, mate. No, not that it's a knock on Fulham because, uh, you know, there's lots of uh, memories for uh, Australia at Craven Cottage as well, uh, the Socceroos style. But uh, uh, but there's something about Newcastle and St James's Park and the crowd and the atmosphere that they bring to the Premier League that uh, we, uh, we'd love to see the crowds back in a post-COVID season. So uh, hopefully that happens. Chris, thanks again for joining us on uh, the show. We really appreciate uh, your time, mate. Uh, Good news that things are starting to improve from a COVID front uh, in the UK. We hope it just keeps on getting better for you.
7: Thank you very much, guys.
1: Anytime. No worries. Chris Wolf from The Athletic. Uh, check out his copy. Jump onto The Athletic. It's coming to Australia soon. It's time to subscribe. Uh, if you want to read some outstanding uh, journalism on football, then uh, The Athletic is the place to go. All right. Stick around. It's going to be uh, more Europe, more uh, Premier League, more Champions League with Dino and Dell after the break on Box to Box.
0: Box to Box.
1: For Chemist Warehouse.
0: Home of real brands and real savings.
1: And Storage King.
0: The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the
1: most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box on 9 Radio NTS News Talk Sport, broadcasting across Australia or on whatever podcast catcher you happen to be listening on. Welcome, welcome to the show. Uh, We're going to talk more Europe in a moment, but before we do, we're going to talk about Chemist Warehouse. Uh, They are one of our wonderful partners. It is time to stock up at Chemist Warehouse you need to clean your teeth There's half price on Colgate Optic White, $3.99 a tube. That is a great deal. Keep your teeth nice and sparkly. Oral-B Vitality Power Toothbrush Range, now just $19.99 each, Save $30. Did you hear that? $19.99 saved $30 off the recommended retail price. Half price off the Colgate Smile for Good Range and Sensodyne Toothpaste Rapid Relief or Repair and Protect, 100 grams, just $8.99 each. There's OptiSlim. If you're going to lose some weight, OptiSlim VLC platinum shakes assorted variants twenty nine ninety nine dollars 99 OptiSlim VLCD bars five pack assorted variants fourteen ninety nine and half price off the entire Fat Blaster range Chemist Warehouse boys where the great prices the great savings are every single day Willem you have been down there lately
3: I have as has Michael he's been smiling a lot uh, with Melbourne Victory progressing lucky he had the Colgate Super Shine uh, in the W League speaking to Molina nice big cheesy look choppers. at that green
1: Cheshire Cat himself. Uh, Derek and Dino are on the line. Derek, uh, we're talking Europe. Um, Where are you going to start us, mate?
8: Yeah, we could pick any of these ties, Dino. I think there was a narrative in all of them and one person smiling will start is Zinedine Zidane who Real Madrid seem to be resurrecting their season just at the right time and Liverpool following their demolition of Arsenal really coming up short. How did you see this game, Dean?
6: Yeah, look, I thought, obviously, poor defending. Um, and I thought Alisson, I can't remember which goal it was, but I thought he could have maybe done better. But it did go through a set of so uh, that can sometimes. But to be fair, when you look at it, I think Real Madrid uh, deserved to win the tie. And most probably was a, you know, a maybe, just maybe, it was three ones just enough that Liverpool have got a door that's slightly ajar.
8: Rob, I had to check that Carius wasn't playing when I saw that Allison mistake. Not, on, not, not, <laughs> not, not what we expect to see from uh, the big man. But well, uh, it, it is.
1: I, it was an interesting week for it to happen, given
8: that they did play Madrid and that was the scene of uh, of that uh, infamous crime. It's funny. Funny, I made that reference, isn't it? So, what do you think? Uh, Rob, do you think they can come back into it? Liverpool have, have overcome bigger hurdles than this. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I think
1: you know while it's mathematically possible, the momentum, the the form, Diogo Jota is uh, amazing. He was out for a lot of uh, uh, the downtime, um, and uh, uh, it's 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 possible. But I I, I just. Like what David Moyes is doing at West Ham, you know Jesse Lingard is uh, uh, the player that we all thought he could be at Manchester United, and uh, um, and they're just doing wonderful things and they're winning when they need to. So I, th- I think they uh, you can have all of the other contenders uh, uh, in the discussion, but West Ham, for I think, is the big problem for, for Liverpool.
8: Yeah, and in this tie as well, Rob, do you see Liverpool being able to scale this one back? Oh,
1: yeah. I, I, well, it's possible back at Anfield, if there was a crowd there, it'd be uh, uh, different. But um, I think that's entirely possible that uh, uh, that they could bounce back. So I'm, I'm, I'm uh, maintaining hope.
8: Sticking with the uh, English team's Dean, uh, Chelsea, I thought, was a... Very impressive performance. They bounced back from their humiliation against West Brom, which we'll cover a little later on. But this was solid against a dangerous Porto team.
6: Yeah, look, I think Mason Mount needs to be highlighted in the in the reel on this one because I think he's had an unbelievable season so far, and uh, and doing it not only for uh, for his country but also with Chelsea and, and. And Porto aren't easy at at their place. But I think that 2-0 buffer, um, I think, uh, unless there's something... Well, again, if they lose a man like they did uh, in in the week against West Brom and lost 5-2 well then that could cause a problem but I think if they've got 11 players
8: they'll go through through. yeah and look Manchester City's game is in on a bit of a knife edge it seems to be when they get to this stage of the uh, tournament that things get a little trickier for them but um, a a great and important goal for Foden he's really come to the fore this season just at the right time
6: yeah look he's, uh, he's Look, Foden's one of my favourite players and De Bruyne are just signing a new deal, which was quite unique, uh, doing it himself with his dad. Uh, so that's, uh, that's been a, a big boost for uh, Manchester City. But, uh, yeah, I think that away goal, and, and you know, and you just worry about that away goal, especially when you're then going to go and play there. But I think if it's going to be any year as it stands, I'm still basing that City can get through because I think they'll score definitely uh, if they're playing back in Germany.
8: An assist for Haaland there. Probably not his best game, but it was a beautiful through no. ball for the, uh, yeah. for the for the equaliser uh, from Royce there. So the game is still alive. Another game that's still alive is definitely Munich and Paris Saint-Germain. And I don't think many of us thought that uh, PSG would go and get a win a uh, 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 Munich and their front two, Dean and Mbappé and Neymar, particularly impressive.
6: Yeah, brilliant. I mean, uh, Mbappé, like his pace is just absolutely frightening. Um, and I think, look, uh, the, the Lewandowski uh, factor is, a, I think, a big one. I, I thought, Chopo uh, Motin did all right and obviously got his goal, which I thought was a fabulous header. And Muller's header was a fabulous goal. But for me, um, when you look at it, there's only one player out there for me that just shone. And it was every time Mbappé got the ball, it was exciting.
8: Yeah, cheap promoting on the store sheet, you go. And he will always indelibly be linked with his time at Stoke. And a lot of people oh, scratching no. their heads now going, how did he go from the uh, Britannia to uh, the Alliance? But, you know, here's, that's football for you, Dean. Going on to the Premier League, we've touched on some of the results. Let's get the... The big one out the way early. Um, Arsenal a miserable um, performance against Liverpool, who did rejuvenate their league title. Uh, so their the league form edge. Um, Arsenal have had a terrible season. Um,
2: where where, did, where does Arteta go from here? It's a good question, isn't it, Derek? Um, I think it's recruiting. Um, I think uh, at the end of the day, uh, you only get the results. You deserve based on the players that you bring in. Um, I think at the start of the season we were seduced a little bit, Derek. I don't know whether you agree with that. That uh, that I think we were starting to think that maybe uh, the resurgence was on. Um, Yeah, I think it comes back to recruiting and uh, especially um, in the um, the back half of uh, of the team, the 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 defense um, I think is uh, has been a problem for many years now and uh, and uh, they need to think really carefully about how they go forward with that group. I think there's a
8: lot for Arteta to do. Um, unfortunately, I'm starting to wonder whether he is the right man to do that. Uh, I think he talks very well. I genuinely believe he's got good ideas about the game. I'm just wondering whether this is just too big a challenge in your first role to completely overhaul uh, a squad that badly needs, uh, as you said, reinforcement and and to let some people go who are underperforming and not necessarily interested in playing for Arsenal. Not naming any names, um, what do you think about this result for Big Sam Dino? That was a clearly the upset of the weekend and really got the Chelsea bus screeching to a halt in the league.
6: Yeah, look, it, it is. I mean, uh, I think it's, since Tuchel's come in, it's been almost faultless, but. Uh... This was one that, and again, it's it's poor defending from an unbelievably experienced player, and then diving in to to do a block, and then gets the second yellow, and then all of a sudden, you know, I think they go straight back down and score. But yeah, I was quite surprised at the the demolition. I, I didn't think it would be five. You know, maybe you know maybe three two, and they just edged it. But big Sam had a big cheesy smile, didn't they?
8: Certainly did. If if ever there was an opportunity to have a pint of wine, I think this very much was the game Uh, to do so. And I'm never going to get bored of making that reference. Uh, It's just a classic. Uh, In the relegation, Maya, we've been talking about Newcastle earlier in the show. they, They got a credible point against Spurs, but don't know if that's enough at this stage. But Mourinho, God, he threw his players under the bus. What did he say, Dean? You know, same manager, different players.
6: Yeah. Poor. I mean, like I think, look, I don't know where this is going to end, but it always implodes. And, and I and the feedback that you hear a lot is that the the playing group's had enough. But, yeah, you know, it was a, it was a game they could have won very easily. I mean, the the, the keeper made a couple of good saves. There was, there was, I mean, they should have got a result. And if and if you put those two points back in the mix, they're actually in fifth, and uh, and they're right knocking on the door. You know, they're they're, they're one point behind. West Ham we were fourth, so Champions League. So it was a big, big, you know, a real flattener, I reckon.
8: I don't know how long. If Harry Kane wants to win trophies, honestly, and then yeah, this is with like my that. Arsenal hat off, he needs to leave Tottenham Hotspur, and I still think that he can go into pretty much every Premier League team, including Manchester City, and do a job. And I just wonder if anyone's going to make a, an offer that will tempt Daniel Levy to sell. Um, City cruise past Leicester, and even Pep was starting to concede the title. Uh, United got past Brighton to solidify their second. As Rob mentioned earlier, West Ham still in massive contention after their win over Wolves, although Deccan Rice will now be a massive miss for them. And down in the bottom again, um, Fulham let that lead slip, uh, slip to Villa, Great result for Villa, but Scott Parker absolutely kicking himself because that was an opportunity to gain some ground on on Newcastle. Uh, next up for Fulham will be Wolverhampton Wanderers in the first game, and looking down the fixture list, probably Tottenham and Spurs jumps out, Dean. That's that. There's a lot yeah, riding well, on that game, isn't there?
6: Massive, isn't that? Yeah, um, for, for two, you know, for both reasons, and uh, even the West Ham and uh, Leicester one. You know, Four and three, you know that's just, yeah. That's going to be
8: tasty as well. And Newcastle Burnley, I think you know that's probably yeah. one of the games that Newcastle's identifying to say if we're going to get out of out of trouble here, this could be the game uh, that we could do, we could do that. But Burnley, as we know, no mugs and a very very difficult uh, team to beat. So there's yeah. your uh, there's your Premier League guys. Um, just having a little look around. Europe for some other stories. We can maybe comment on a few. Inter Milan are now eight points clear at the top of Serie A. Romelu Lukaku, Dino, he's had an incredible season. He scored another goal. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's some clubs back in England again that will be saying, you know, it was a bit of a mistake to let this guy go.
6: Yeah, they will. I mean, I think it was a massive mistake. He was scoring goals at United, you know, and. And then when, you know, and I found that very strange as well. But since he's been over there, he's just been prolific week in, week out. I can't remember a week when he hasn't scored a goal or a, at least assisted one. So I think he's been in unbelievable form. And, you know, they they pick him every time as well for his country, you know, with Belgium. So I don't know. I think that's, that's maybe one that slipped away for United.
8: I think absolutely, definitely. that He's a superb player and certainly will cost a lot of money if anyone would like to recruit him now. Uh, Lille have gone back to the top of Ligue 1 and they beat Paris Saint-Germain after Neymar was sent off. So Lille could be uh, breaking that run of uh, victories for PSG. Bayern, uh, I know they had a bad result during the week, but they... You know, they put one hand on the Bundesliga title after a win over Leipzig. And everything's getting really interesting now in Spain because um, Atletico Madrid suffered another defeat. Um, Both Barcelona and Real Madrid are now breathing down their necks. I even think it might be in Barcelona's own hands now, uh, which is a strange thing when you think about the turmoil that um, happened at that club. And, of course, Real Sociedad won the Copa del Rey, beating their Basque rivals Bilbao and Bow will now get a chance to win that same tournament again against Barcelona because the two cup finals are going to be back to back. So that's it, Rob from Europe. I know we mentioned the, uh, the racism stuff. And all I'd say is that, you know, we will do a segment on this soon, a proper one, because, you know, there's just too many stories and, uh, it's not a problem that's going away.
1: No, not at all. As we said earlier on, 100%, we will be covering that in detail in the very near future. All right, boys, stick around. Uh, we're going to do more Europe. We're going to talk Euros and stadiums in stoppage time after the break. Box to box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse.
0: Home of real brands and real savings.
1: And Storage King.
0: The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all.
1: Yes, this is Box to Box on Nine Radio, NTS News Talksport. The fourth official lifts his sign and says there are eight minutes left in stoppage time. We all have been hanging out, haven't we? We were so disappointed last year when the Euros were postponed, but can you believe it that it's a year on now um, and we're talking about crowds in stadiums. Uh, it's uh, April, but uh, the tournament, uh, the 2020 tournament as it's go- still going to be called, will kick off uh, on the 11th of June and uh, we've had the announcement of the stadiums uh, in the past week, uh, in the past few uh, days in even in fact, and we've touched on them briefly on the show so far, but we wanted to jump into them in a little bit more detail uh, as the deadline for the 12 host cities pass. So, Michael, I um, you're still sceptical about some of the countries uh, well, we know in Europe even being able to host uh, matches, but we know that there are uh, uh, contingency plans in place.
2: Obviously, the European Championships normally is held in one or two countries with, uh, with groups in three or four or five cities. Um, because of the uh, the 70th anniversary, uh, they're playing it in, uh, I think nine. So London, Glasgow,
1: Dublin, Amsterdam, Copenhagen, Saint Petersburg, Bilbao, Munich, Budapest, Baku, Rome, and Bucharest.
2: That's right. So um, it's fair to say that uh, that uh, UEFA's got a, a dynamite issue to deal with, haven't they? And they invited all the countries to submit plans around fans. And the countries have done that, and now UEFA is considering those before they make decisions. So, they could make a decision and say we're going to play it, the entire thing in England because of COVID. That could happen. Um, I, I think there's going to be a mass uh, reorganisation of the event because just travelling in between in a COVID-safe way uh, for countries that are you know playing in uh, you know uh, their group games in three or four. In, three, in a minimum of three, three countries. I, I just can't see working. So I think there's, uh, there's going to be some wholesale change. And I think it's the 19th of April is the date that UEFA has said they will announce this information. Uh, so, Derek, uh, do you think there'll be a wholesale change to the way the Euros are scheduled and uh, we could have hubs versus um, every country getting, uh, getting a few games?
8: Would certainly be the sensible thing to do, wouldn't it? Edge, but I think that we know that with UEFA and organisations like UEFA, there are things at stake and arrangements that have been agreed um, that that they won't, they will want to honour. There will be a lots of those uh, member organisations that have been allocated the um, the games will want to have their games because you know income is. Um, probably a very scarce thing for the majority of these organizations, particularly after a, a year off when we didn't have a lot of international football and probably for the likes of, um, you know, some of the quote-unquote smaller nations, the R- Romania, you know, Bucharest, Budapest, um, Copenhagen, Baku. These are going to be really, really important games um, for them and really, really important revenue-raising opportunities. But for me, it makes complete sense to to play it in a hub. It doesn't need to be in England. That's not, you know, I, I mean, realistically, I think England need to play it in England if they've got any chance of winning the tournament. But, you know, just play it, play it in one country, give the fans... COVID passport so that we know exactly who's going to which games and just build a little more certainty for all the teams taking part that their their squads are going to be fit throughout because what, what you don't want to do is for one squad to get wiped out by COVID because of poor practice in one of the countries and then it undermines. The whole success of the
2: tournament. Well, that's exactly what will happen, Derek. Um, yeah. We take the context at the moment with the Matildas. So, Ellie Carpenter and Amy Harrison failed COVID protocols, so they weren't allowed to travel to travel between uh, between you know France to Germany and, and Netherlands to Germany because of the rules in Germany and the Netherlands. So, um, that could possibly happen in the context of this event. So, I just don't see how they can possibly keep the same structure. I just don't see how they can. Dino, what about you, mate?
6: Yeah, look, I tend to agree. I mean, um, Europe's been in a world of pain for quite a while. And I can't see it getting any better unless uh, they stick to what they've been told to do. You know, and like you look at the France's of the world, Germany's being hit hard, Spain's been really hard, England and the whole of Britain being hit really hard. I think if you just put it in one island, say, look, that's, that's your lot, and it's it's unfortunate and you miss out. You so have to do it the next time for the Euros, Because I think if, if the people, and you know the line, you know, there might be a, you could forge stuff, there be all sorts going on for people wanting to travel to it. So I think the safest bet is it, it just stays in one country.
8: It's hard to know what's going on behind the closed doors in UEFA. You read any book about how these kind of organisations are run, and you just know that you've just got to be cynical about what their rational rationale is for, in terms of broadcaster deals, sponsorship deals, and then the deals with the home associations, I'm sure. Dublin and Ireland will be absolutely distraught if they're not going to get their um, their their share of the gate because, as we've seen in recent weeks, the you know, Irish FA is an absolutely appalling state and finances, you know, they would have been looking at this round of games and looking at the gate revenue from Dublin, um, particularly because home attendances of Irish games are generally so poor to, uh, to to get these up. I mean, the only glimmer of hope is... what whatever they're going to do, it does sound like fans will be back in the stadiums and some of the quotas that we've seen, 25%. And I think that's going to make a massive difference to the spectacle. I think it's going to make a massive difference to the players who haven't played in front of crowds and even other sporting events. I mean, over here, we can see the the AFL, just the impact that 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 is now having on the products. And even back in the UK, they had a world title boxing fight. Anthony Joshua had a 1,000 people in the in the arena, and it sounded like 100,000 people. It was fantastic. So I just hope they can find a situation where fans can safely enter the ground, they can provide some atmosphere, and and, and as we all want, Rob, we, we're just desperate to see some high-quality international football, and it's set to be really compelling because there's so many strong contenders for this tournament.
1: Yeah, without question, it's, uh, it is on uh, the judgment of most of the good judges the the elite uh, football tournament in the world um, you can have the World Cup uh, which we all love uh, but obviously there are weaker countries that uh, qualify uh, uh, we countries that are uh, stronger than countries that qualify for the World Cup don't even make it to the euros uh, if that makes sense as uh, we know from I'm uh, calling Tish on what you're saying there by the way Right, so you reckon that? Um, I reckon the World Cup's better
2: than European Championships. You, you the South co- American co- the nations? Quality.
1: It? Well, okay, you're entitled to, and you've got uh, plenty of experience with which to say that. However, um, I maintain, Roberto. I maintain my um,
2: my. It's a great three A W term. That do you think Ross Stevenson invented the term bulltish?
1: And the rest of Australia have got no idea what you're talking about. Um, but I'm right, you're wrong. Uh, we're time to go. Um, thank you, Michael. Good evening, Roberto. Thank you, and Well done. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, gents. Dino.
6: Yeah, thank you, boys. Well done.
1: And Derek. Thanks, gents. And Damien Tardio. I bet you he agrees with me, even though he doesn't have a microphone in front of him. he am proud Italian. Yes, he does. He nods there. Well done, Damien. Thank you, Matt. You've got my back. All right. Thank you, uh, gentlemen. Uh, thank you to our great listeners and all, I guess, on another great week on Box to Box. We will look forward to you tuning in next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Game. You're a Euro snob, Rob.